0: Welcome again to Steelcast. In series one, we talked to leaders across Tata Steel in the UK about the impact of the coronavirus, the restrictions governments were putting in place and how that was affecting our markets, our customers, our people and our suppliers. These modern day giants of the UK steel industry talked us through the measures they were taking to manage their way through the lockdown and how our steel heroes across the land were responding. The first are to keep our people safe and our business running. In series two, we're talking to those people who are down the middle of the next hour, recovery. And while we've spoken to some of those people who know some of our key markets best to find out how they're recovering, we've not yet spoken to anyone about how our own operations may be set to meet that potentially rising demand. Well, today we're going to right that wrong as we welcome to the pod Tata Steel Europe's Chief Technical Officer Ernst Hugenus. Ernst, a very warm welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Tim. Uh, it's good to be here.
0: As always. Before we get into the detail of uh, how operations have been managing throughout the pandemic and what comes next, um, for those who don't know you very well, Ernst, can you give us a kind of a potted history of, of your career, kind of where you've been and what you've done very briefly?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I studied mechanical engineering. So basically, I'm a jack of all trade. Yeah. It's reflected in my career in, uh, in uh, this company. I've been working here for just over 33 years, and this is my 15th position. So I've covered quite a few different things, wow. um, and quite a while also uh, abroad. So not just in the Netherlands. Yeah, I'm still enjoying it.
0: Excellent, excellent. So I think you're, out, yeah, I think you out. Run me as well. You've got a few more years on me, but uh, a, a long and illustrious career. And so now you're kind of at uh, at the top table. So, yeah, perspectives on uh, on uh, we'll cover today will be fascinating, I'm sure. And before we start going into the uh, talk about the recovery, which is the main essence of today's podcast, it would be remiss of me not to ask how Tata Steel's operations have coped over the last seven months of the pandemic. Can you reflect on on what's gone on there, how we've coped?
1: Yeah, I'll try to touch on a few things, uh, just like many other industries. We've been in an extremely uh, unprecedented period of what is now about seven months, I think, and um, yeah, it was quite a, a period with two phases, you know, uh, two opposites. And they did not attract, I have to say. Steel demand has dropped quite a bit, uh, especially in the automotive sector, but certainly also in, uh, for instance, the oil industry. Where on the other side, packaging steel and as we have uh, experienced also colors and, and uh, construction have done pretty well with uh, with a good demand. Yeah. Uh, if I look at construction, then um, at first there was a small shock. Uh, but that uh, that recovered quickly and is now looking quite good and we made quite decent profits as well there Uh, when offshore and the the petrochemical industry basically had a huge blow which is quite logical if you see that uh, the use of cars has reduced enormously planes stay on the ground and uh, the the traveling has reduced uh, quite a bit it's quite nice to have less planes over my house by the way (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we, we have been able, due to many years of relationship building with key customers, to, uh, to build a good relationship with them. So we have been able to predict to some extent what would happen, uh, both on the, the volume side, uh, on the requirements in, in our products and mix. And we've been able to manage our assets accordingly. Um, where well, I have to say that I think, given the circumstances where we have been extremely tight on cash, uh, we maintained them um, uh, as good as we could. Uh, certainly, the uh, the critical uh, uh, assets, and also we still invest quite a bit of uh, of capital uh, in our equipment. All in all, it will still be some 70, 80 million in uh, in the UK, uh, and that in a year with with such pressure on cash and EBITDA is, I think. Uh, pretty good actually
0: yeah and it's an interesting situation isn't it because for those of us who have been working from home throughout you know we look on at the the people who have gone into to the steelworks and the steel sites across europe uh, throughout the pandemic and think well for them not that much has changed but actually quite a lot has changed isn't it because the the volumes have been reduced the, mi- the mix has changed they've been working in different environments you know you must be very proud of how the the operational teams have have manage their way through the last seven months
1: yeah certainly we, we we've been faced with some 20 to 25 percent of volume loss but the actual value loss was was bigger because quite a bit of our what we would call structural uh order portfolio basically disappeared like automotive and and uh, as i mentioned also the uh, the offshore industry and the flex orders that we used to at least keep running uh, generated far less uh, profit and turnover. Um, due to that, we we had to be flexible in um, in manning our uh, our assets, um, producing different products as well. Uh, we had to keep partially our plants running uh, and send a couple of our colleagues home uh, on furlough, which is very mm. very difficult. I imagine if you've worked with our company for a long time and all of a sudden you're you're being asked to to take furlough, uh, you could. Basically translate that into: hmm, Am I not needed anymore?
0: Yeah.
1: If I see the resilience of people and the enormous um, energy they they kept putting in, uh, the fact that uh, certainly in the first part of the wave we had an exceptional position in not being infected uh, yeah. compared to to outside, the discipline was great. So, yeah, I'm really proud of what we have achieved and are still achieving because we're now in a second wave that to some extent is far bigger than the first one. When you look at the numbers Yeah, Um, and people just keep hanging in there and and they they still produce uh, even our other portfolio is picking up now. Uh, We are as flexible as ever uh, and even more. And. i think it's what i say more often you know assets can be bought everywhere uh, it's the people that make the difference and we're now making a difference that's for
0: sure yeah and that's you know certainly from looking on at the operations over the last seven months one other thing that has struck me i don't know about all businesses but is the level of stability that we've had across the plant now is that a result just of having fewer volume less volume uh, to, to go through or is it uh, a result of having i don't know yeah, fewer new product trials or fewer developments or, you know, maybe fewer managers around. Why do you think we've we've achieved that better level of stability?
1: Well, what I've experienced last year when I was still able to travel regularly is that the, um, that the sustainable operational excellence, which actually is mostly about uh, a different way of communicating, leading, taking ownership of your own part of the processes. Um, knowing where your own capability ends and asking for help to others having very effective uh, stand-up meetings where we involve others that's making a huge difference yeah on top of that um, when I look at some of the health and safety performance I can imagine but I can't prove it it's not not scientific evidence that um, the concentration on our uh, workplace, wearing a mask or not but certainly keeping a distance Mm. being very very focused on where we are and and what we do helped in in uh in performing as we did and uh the combination of the two i think leads to uh to a performance that we couldn't dream of a couple of years ago so Mm. again, um, it's the people that make the difference and also the, the, the journey that we've been on for two years, at least two and a half years now with SOE uh, in many, many plants in the UK uh, the Help is helping us to make that difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting rewarding the benefits. It's not a perspective I considered, but it's very valid, I'm sure. And of course, you know, we talk about the operational teams, but when we talk about the workload of the business over the last seven months and this change from you know, some of the higher value products to some of the more sort of commodity products, there have been some absolutely enormous export packages going out. And that's a, a completely different way of managing material from our from our mills to our customer. You know, that, that's a huge amount of credit there to lots of logistics people and shipping people and, and and some of the commercial and supply chain people. They played their part as well, haven't they, Ernst?
1: Yeah, they certainly did. Um, and actually, in these difficult periods, knowing what the customer needs, uh, even though we, we have limited our, our volumes, our delivery performance was very, very good. Mm. Um, stretching the capacity of thruster, for instance, has led to uh, a demand that was higher than what we could deliver. And we got compliments from our our customers, how we communicated what they could expect. Uh, We had some setbacks with um, the transport issues with with railways, for instance. Yeah. Um, You can imagine it's always uh, also difficult for uh, the companies that work with us to keep their manning up. Uh, So um, I, I know one example, again, from Troster where knowing that the next day the the uh, shipments would be at, at extreme high level people from the afternoon uh, helped during the night to prepare so the next morning we were fully able and capable to uh, to ship everything so talking about taking ownership um, that's a very good example of of how we have been able to cope with uh, different volumes different mixes uh, and different circumstances
0: yeah and I think you hear it time and time again I know in the last uh, podcast we did with Tor Farcro he mentioned the sort of monumental effort of our people and the amount of discretionary effort that that our that our workforce are putting in and uh, you know it's it's a point well made Ernst I think uh, you know we talk about how we've been coping over the last seven months the theme of this series is is about recovery now things feel like they're warming up again Ernst uh, volume seem to be starting to increase the sectors are warming up again you mentioned construction already you know what are we starting to see in terms of the impact on our operations now well
1: we just discussed that uh, this morning Um, we we see that the prices are picking up as well as the volume in some of the sectors Uh, uh, construction has been good and we expect it to be good you never know what winter will bring but yeah uh, automotive is gradually improving i think jlr is now back to some 60 percent of where they were and the minis uh basically sell like uh hot warm uh, <laughs> uh rolls yeah um so yeah volume is picking up and we expect that the um third and fourth quarter of this year will be not exactly on annual plan level but but let's say within 10 percent of annual plan so that's pretty good yeah um prices are picking up and we we try to benefit from that to the max and then it's good to see that uh, we've done uh, a fair amount of of maintenance and we we also had some uh, some stops putting some capex in which shows for instance at uh, a record that zodiac uh, broke which tells me that um, we are getting pretty good at doing maintenance and starting up with with very little disturbances uh, with people who are uh, very sharp from day one. So if we can use that to uh, to have a very good third and fourth quarter, then uh, we might end the year far better than we w- would have thought six months ago.
0: Yeah, well, fingers crossed, I guess. and uh, but as we talk today, Ernst, you know we're we're getting towards the back end of October, and of course, there are yeah you know, the second wave seems to be hitting shores across. The geographies in which we operate and there are more and more lockdowns i'm sitting here in wales and there's going to be a a, a national lockdown for, for sort of two weeks do you think these measures that have been put in place in society are going to dent that confidence and we and we might start to struggle again
1: yeah the the big difference i think between the, the let's say first wave and now is that we have been able to prepare um ourselves we as a society know that um, our medical treatment is better, our uh, testing is better, uh, we protect the, the somewhat older people in society better, which leads to uh, a different impact. Uh, and we also understand that uh, to sacrifice economy uh, is something that you should limit within what uh, the, the, the medical needs allow you. Mm. So what I think will happen and you see it happening already is there will be partial lockdowns or or full lockdowns but for a, a shorter period of time more regional than they were in the first wave. Mm. Um, I think also with the experience of the first wave people will will not be as afraid that there will be a complete economical uh, disaster and downturn. So the confidence that they can keep spending a bit of money is at a higher level. Mm. So the whole um, economy, the whole manufacturing, sourcing, the, the the people who buy the the equipment, uh, will stay on a higher level than we thought at first in the first wave.
0: Mm. And uh, I guess we'll be watching that very closely and 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 adjusting our operational capabilities to suit. And uh, so I guess here we are at the end of October, Ernst, and you know for a number of months we've had to uh, rely more on commodity products and bigger. Uh, packages and um, now the markets are looking like they're starting to grow and develop, and car makers are coming back on stream and so forth. How difficult is it to turn our operations from almost one model of operating to another, which has you know s- maybe smaller product packages of a more complex mix? What ch- what changes do we need to see in our in our operations?
1: Well. Like you said, we we have been looking after our assets uh, within the constraints of of uh, what we can spend. So all our critical assets uh, are in a in a relatively good shape. The blast furnaces, especially, will will have to uh, to turn to a higher volume, which is actually better for them than the the volume that we produce now. Yeah. We gradually ramp up the raw material uh, purchase and the, the volume in the in the blast furnace, and um, I think. The most critical part is uh, how many of of our people turn out to be infected somewhere. um, And in most cases, it's at home and and not at work. And due to the tracing, how many of their colleagues might have to be uh, in Mm self-isolation, which could lead to incomplete shifts. If we have complete shifts, I see no problem in ramping up volume and uh, mixed complexity because you know we've been working um, in our plants for years and years and years. People are very capable, extremely anxious to, uh, to get everything out to, to sell more and produce at high levels. But yeah, we, we have to be uh, complete on, on our shift. So the more important it is for ourselves to, uh, to remain safe and healthy, and yeah. to keep distance and wear masks and and make sure that if we work together, uh, we limit the chance of being infected um, either at home or with with people's at uh, with colleagues at work to the minimum.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting, wasn't it? We talked earlier about plant stability and some of the good habits that have been developed, um, maybe because of the pandemic, but also because of things like sustainable operational excellence. And and you've talked a bit about you know, investing in some of the critical aspects of the plant. But, you know, with limited capital investment to sort of improve our capability, do, do you think we'll be able to take the best advantage uh, of the upturn, given what you've said about having our people in, when we haven't been able to invest in our assets as much as we think we would like to? Again, we, we discussed it this
1: morning and we just had a CapEx review committee as well. Uh, we approved a few uh, investments in in Shorten and in building systems, especially in downstream, with with uh, capability improvements attached to them. Yeah, um, but we also need to understand that we are where we are, and that we need to uh, uh, to stretch the capabilities with the assets as as we have them. And if there's one thing that is a strength within our company, then it is. Uh, being innovative uh, and do maximum of self-help. Mm. So I think compared to, to where we were half a year, a year ago, we can come back to the same level or actually exceed, also given the work done in the transformation work streams, Ops 1 and Ops 2, which actually are frontrunners in the whole transformation program, even mm. though I'm, I'm CTO. I think I should mention that <laughs> uh, I'm proud of it. And it, it helps us to uh, to run at, at higher paces uh, with better yields within narrow narrow um, application limits. And again, what I said, if you look at the performance of Zodiac of the color coating lines of Trostra, also the hot mill, uh, given the fact that, that they went through uh, quite a bit of uh, of volume loss. Uh, turning a hotmail back onto full volume is not always easy. Eh? It's one big temperature machine and yeah. the people have been very capable of doing that. So I've got a lot of confidence and, you know, we, we need to be open uh, and listen carefully what people need to be supported in that and try to give them that help because that's what we're for. You know, um, we we're here to, to let our teams excel in what they do uh, by listening to them and, and, uh, and offering support.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting theme. Again, I think it was something that came up with Tor, this concept of servant leadership and, you know, the, the senior directors such as yourself being there to support uh, the teams to do what they do best. They're a big believer in that, Ernst.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And, and well,
1: my first experience with uh, with steel in the UK dates from 1995 when I did an exchange programme with uh, between British Steel and Hooghovens and I spent more than three weeks in Schotten. Um, I was about to be appointed as the uh, the manager of the organic coating line number one in Amuiden. And the amount of experience and um, also the, the way the people were knowledgeable on the shifts in those days was for me quite a learning. Mm. There were a couple of programs running in those days, Opus 1 on, uh, on health and safety. Um, in some other areas, uh, British Steel was uh, preparing for teamwork on which I worked later on with, with John Ferryman and uh, and, and others. Mm. And since then, I've always kept in touch. Um, I've been responsible for, for packaging uh, for four years for op- operations. And uh, I think the, the strength of the people in, in the UK is that um, the steel industry has been under a huge pressure with the downturn of the, the manufacturing industry in the UK. And the steel industry has been under a lot of pressure with a lot of closures of integrated sites, a lot of closures uh, and and also shrinking of, of sites. Yeah. But the strength has always been and will remain to be uh, our people, the resilience of the people, uh, the people being flexible, innovative in what they do and especially working as as one team. And I'm sure that will help us this time again.
0: Yeah, and it's a thread, whenever I speak to you, Ernst, one of the things that always strikes me is that uh, you always come back to the people. And I know that whenever I, often I meet you in an office and you're kind of desperate to get out into the workplace, I can I can see it in your eyes that that you love a steelworks environment and you love steelworkers. Where did that come from?
1: Yeah, <laughs> M- my father designed and built sailing boats, but made out of wood mm-hmm. and uh, also the masts. Uh, that he made were out of wood mm. uh, he made the first hollow masts in the netherlands that were uh, both flexible and strong but masts of wood were replaced by masts of aluminium uh, wooden boats were replaced by polyester and mm. uh, what he said is don't step into my shoes uh, do something else <laughs> uh, uh, try engineering because you you, you love uh, the engineering side of things. Always interested in how things work and how, how you can uh, design it and make it. So during my study, I uh, was able to, to visit uh, the Hooghovens uh, in Amuiden for a few times. And mm. most impressive visit for me was the mill in those days. Mm. And I did my master study at uh, uh, the biggest grocery um, chain in the Netherlands, Aholt in simulation modeling, mm. but I didn't like the culture of that company. And what I tasted during my visits in, in Amuide was that the, the culture of steelmaking is one of brotherhood and uh, it's a very special environment. So basically that was why I applied for a job in, uh, in 1986 to start in 87. And in every different position that feeling grew stronger. So uh, the steel making is so special, and, and uh, we have one integrated flat steel site in the UK, one integrated steel site in the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> on, on every birthday party, you you can tell about your work because hardly anyone else knows about it unless they also work in your company, you know.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, it's it's the the pride in in what you do. Everyone likes to be proud of what it does. And, and uh, I think it's easy uh, within our company to be proud of what we do.
0: It is certainly an extraordinary place, uh, uh, you know, physically and culturally, and I think we would all go along with that. Ernst, I'm very conscious of the time. I'm very grateful for you joining us on today's pod, uh, for your insights and your, your candour and your energy. I'm sure we've learnt uh, lots about what we've been through in the last six or seven months. Uh, but also some of the stuff that we're looking forward to and how the operations will manage their way through it. And uh, hopefully with a, with a degree of optimism that our company will be able to deal with whatever the world throws at it. So thank you very much for joining us, Ernst.
1: Thank you, Tim. And uh, speak to you soon.
0: In earlier episodes of Steelcast, we heard some encouraging news about how the markets for steel are picking up and in some cases booming. Let's hope recent lockdown measures don't stunt that growth. And today we heard the story how, despite Covid, people across the company have knuckled down to keep our assets in good order without necessarily much capital investment. We heard of the good habits that have been developed and the things that we need to hang on to. But the trick in the coming months will be to have our assets and our people in fine enough fettle to take advantage of those warm breezes that bring market demand and better prices. That challenge still remains, of course, but Ernst, for one, is very confident we will again rise to that challenge. If today's podcast made you prick up your ears and got your steel industry juices flowing, why not subscribe to Steelcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can listen to previous episodes from around the UK and hear more proud, passionate steelworkers. See you next time when we delve into another part of one of the UK's longest standing, most essential and best loved industries.